and welcome to my first podcast for a new decade and a new year, 2020. I cannot believe we're in the 20s. When I was a kid, I would dream that in the year 2020 or even in the year 2000, we'd be flying in the sky in our cars. Cars would be flying everywhere. We wouldn't be driving on roads, but that hasn't happened yet, maybe in another 100 years. But uh, it's just amazing. We're in the 2020s and uh, it just goes to show that I am getting old I don't know if I'll be around in uh, 2050, but time will tell. Now, on this episode, I'm going to um, just briefly discuss my recent adventures out in the scenic rim, Darling Downs region, trying to chase storms and the reality of the drought out there too. And uh, I'll also be talking about storm chasing and how and why it's so difficult to get in front of that storm to get the perfect shot. Now, I actually had a, um, I had an episode ready to publish just before Christmas Day, and for some reason, uh, I didn't publish it. I either forgot to publish it, or I was just busy doing other things, but uh, I deleted it because it's irrelevant now, uh, wishing everyone a Merry Christmas when we're nearly at the end of January, so I deleted it, and um, I'm just starting this fresh, so... Uh, and I know it's been a while since I've done the last podcast. I think it was in October sometime, so it's been well over two or three months. I'm not going to promise I'm going to do more this year. I think I'm only going to do episodes when it's relevant, when something happens. Uh, definitely won't be doing a recording once every fortnight. It'll probably be once a month or once every two months. But uh, I'll just see how I go and see how the year progresses. Now, I hope everyone did have a great Christmas and New Year and uh, wishing everyone all the best for 2020. Now, um, there was nothing really exciting happening for me as far as holidays were concerned. Uh, I worked straight through the Christmas break and New Year break, working in the car rental industry. Unfortunately, that's what happens. Uh, we don't close at all. And um, I only just had my ordinary days off that I have, my two days off during the week, which is Sunday and Monday. And uh, I think I'm overdue for a holiday. I haven't had holidays since last June when I was down in Sydney for Vivid. So uh, I want to try, and I've got a couple of weeks already occurring, 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 I think that's the word. Um, but um, I might uh, take some soon, actually. Uh, but more on that in a minute. But uh, I'm very envious of teachers. I know they do a tough job, and uh, a few teachers, no doubt, get abused by students and it wouldn't be the easiest job being a school teacher. I certainly couldn't do it. But, geez, they get a lot of time off during the year, don't they? They get up to 12 weeks. No doubt there's a lot of behind-the-scenes work that they do. I know a couple of people that are teachers, and uh, they do a lot of work at home. When school finishes for the day, they've got to go home and mark, you know, do tests and, and prepare tests for the next day and uh, and do marking and stuff like that and, and whatever. So... Um, I'm sure it's not a glamorous job like people do think, but uh, I do get a bit envious. They get their six, six weeks off over Christmas and they get their um, three lots of two weeks off during the year in between terms and then and uh, stuff like that. But um, when I went to school up until I think the late 1980s, for those that, you are my, that are my age and can remember, I'm pretty sure it was only a two-term year or three-term year because... We'd have holidays at Christmas, Easter, and around September. But obviously now they put a fourth term in, just as I left school in the late 1980s. I think it went to four terms. 
So they have holidays now in June or July. So it's been like that now for a good part of 30 years. But uh, I do miss having time off over Christmas, New Year. Uh, when I worked at the factory down in Sydney, I was there for about 20 years. We always had four weeks off um, around Christmas, New Year period. The factory would close down for four weeks. And if you had enough holidays, you'd take all four weeks off. So it was pretty cool. So, um, but uh, where I'm working now, that's not going to happen. So I generally take my holidays during the year. So, um, but speaking of which, school starts uh, just after Australia Day. I think uh, most kids will be back and and that week and then uh, for a new year. So there you go. So now over the December, January period, what I have been doing is I've been going out to the Darling Downs region in, in, in west of Brisbane and the scenic rim. Now, for those that you don't know that area, Bow Desert, Boona, all that area, it's about an hour, two-hour drive west of the Gold Coast. Um, I've been exploring around there and driving around there mainly for storm chasing, chasing storms, and um, it sort of really hit me hard when I drove out there how dry it has been. Though they have had recent rains over the last week. Uh, the Gold Coast area as well, we got a drenching, um, it was a couple of weekends before the Australia Day long weekend, I think we got about 250 to 300 millimetres on the Gold Coast, it'd be our heaviest downpour in quite some time and they also got some good falls uh, with thunderstorms and that further out west and uh, when I was out um, Bow Desert Way uh, last week, um, there's a lot of water on the side of the road and in the grass and things are starting to get a bit greener so things are a lot better out there. I also did a bit of storm chasing with Jenna. Uh, we actually went out to Dolby and Chinchilla. That's a fair drive. Uh, the models were hinting that uh, there was going to be a good storm outbreak out in the Darling Downs region. So we ventured out there and uh, we weren't that successful. Uh, we did intercept a few storms, but they were fairly weak and they didn't have good structure. Um, so, but it was good just to drive out there just to see how dry it is and it makes you appreciate that us people that live on the coast have got it far better than those live out west uh, with the farmers and that. And uh, um, it, was, it really hit me hard seeing how dry it is out there. But since I've been out there, they have had some good rain in certain areas. Not every part in western Queensland have had a drenching, but a lot have. And looking at the forecast models for the upcoming week, uh, in the last week of January, it looks like the northern part of Queensland is going to get some good rains as the monsoon, that's long overdue, That's the monsoon generally kicks in around December, uh, starts to kick in and we're going to get a lot of moisture and a lot of rain in the northern parts of Queensland, which is really good to, good to see. So, um, and by the way, when we drove out to Dolby and Chinchilla, um, the new Toowoomba bypass has been open for quite some time now. It was toll-free for a fair while until November, December, and there's a toll on the road now. And to be honest, I can't remember what the toll was, but uh, I have to look at my statement. But um, you bypass Toowoomba now if you don't want to go through the township, and you save probably 15, 20 minutes. So it, uh, if you want to go out into those areas or out to Warwick or wherever you need to go, you don't have to go through Toowoomba anymore. You can um, go on the bypass and it's a lovely bit of road, although I'm a bit disappointed. Uh, some sections of that road are very rough 
it's like as if there's ripples on the road or something. And I've got a funny feeling they're going to have to rip that up and reseal part of that. So I don't know if that's a deliberate thing to slow cars down going on the downhill run because it is a fairly steep road or that's just a fault when they built it. So that's just something I noticed when I was driving through there a few weeks back. Uh, I've also been out around Alora. That's out near Warwick in the uh, Darling Downs region. That's a good two, two and a half hour drive from the Gold Coast. I actually went out there just to see if there were any sunflowers because normally this time of year, uh, that area around Alora and Warwick and the southern part of Toowoomba can get some lovely fields of sunflowers as I've seen over the years. But uh, nothing as far as I know, is out there because of the drought and lack of um, rain and so forth. But um, there's a lovely windmill near Alora, and uh, I managed to um, – I was lucky enough to have a red sky or some lovely high cloud out that way, and uh, I got a photo, a couple of photos of the windmill, like a classic country sunset, I suppose. And um, so I was out there for that as well, and I also was – You've got to drive through Cunningham's Gap to get out to that region. And I stopped and took some photos around there because that was ravaged with fire late last year and Cunningham's Gap was actually closed for some time. It's been reopened now and uh, it's good to see that there's new growth starting to happen already, but it's going to take some time before everything gets restored out there. I don't really want to dwell on the fire situation that's happened down in the southern part of New South Wales and Victoria and the Blue Mountains and so forth. I think everyone knows the news, um, the devastation that's been caused, the amount of wildlife that's been killed. I think there's 30 or 35 people have sadly uh, died from the fires and um, people homeless uh, lost their houses and so forth. Uh, it's great to see everyone come together and donate money. Uh, I know there's been a bit of uh, controversy with the Red Cross, about 10% um, goes to administration fees, and then I haven't really looked into it, but uh, I donated to the Royal, um, not the Royal, the uh, Rural Fire Service, the RFS. I gave them some money a few weeks back, so uh, hopefully I've done my bit to help, and uh, I'm sure a lot of people around Australia and around the world have offered their support as well. We've had... Um, firefighters from over in Canada and the United States and no doubt New Zealand that have come over to help as well to uh, put the fires out. And I think last week there was three American firefighters or I don't know if they were firefighters or they were from the um, army that uh, tragically passed away when the plane that they were in uh, that was carrying fire retardant uh, crashed down in the snowy mountains somewhere. So that's very sad and people are uh, losing their lives trying to save others. So hopefully the worst of it's over and people can recover. And um, yeah, it's very sad indeed. Now, storm chasing. Now, it's been people have been doing it for a long time now. I actually got interested in storms probably in the early 1980s. Uh, I vividly remember back in 1984 in Sydney, we had a massive storm outbreak. I think for about five or six days in a row, we had uh, storms every day. But it wasn't just one storm every day. We had three or four in a row, and that happened five days in a row. It was uh, a weather system that stalled over the region from memory. I think it was in November 1984. 
and uh, it was amazing, especially of a night time, seeing a storm come over and pass, and then two hours later, another one would come from the west. So uh, that sort of really gave me interest in uh, weather in general back in those days when I was only a teenager. So I was an avid storm watcher back then, and uh, even when I got my licence and started uh, driving back in 1989-90, I started driving around looking for storms, mainly in the Sydney region. I sometimes went to the Blue Mountains or Central Coast. I obviously didn't have a camera with me to take photos of back then, but uh, I was around sort of unofficially chasing storms because I don't have any photos to show what I was doing, but I definitely was out. Uh, chasing storms back even in the early 1990s. Uh, it wasn't really until Instagram and social media and that where I really, and I got my camera uh, about seven, eight years ago was when I really got into it. And uh, especially when I moved up to the Gold Coast, the northern, northeastern New South Wales region and the southeast region of Queensland is regarded as the storm capital of Australia outside of Darwin. Uh, Darwin gets some uh, really good storms up there over the summer months in the monsoon. But uh, the uh, region that I live in is very known to have uh, severe storms, uh, especially around October, November, when the uh, we still have cool air in the upper atmosphere and it clashes with the warm air and uh, boom. Um, we haven't had the best storms the last couple of seasons. It's been hit and miss, especially on the coastal areas, but inland they've had some really decent storms and... Uh, that's where we've had to sort of drive uh, to capture something good. And uh, not all chases are successful. I think from a percentage-wise, if I chase on 10 storm days, probably two or three of those days I'll be in the right spot to get some good photos of the storms. Now, I'm referring to storms that are hitting in the afternoon. Of a night time, it's a bit easier because you can see lightning from a further distance of a night, so you can just go to your local beach and if there's storms offshore and catch uh, lightning of a night time and that. Uh, by the way, speaking of lightning, I've ordered a lightning trigger, a strike finder, and uh, that should be in the mail soon, although I'm having issues getting that delivered. I ordered it nearly two weeks ago, and it's meant to be 10 business days for delivery, and I haven't heard anything, so I'm a bit worried. I might have to chase that up. So that strike finder is going to come in handy probably for next year or the end of this year because our storm season up here is sort of coming to a bit of a close as we get into the February. The storms become few and far between and we have a bit of a spike in March and April and then it sort of dies off until October. But um, with storm chasing, um, it's very difficult. It's not easy to get in front of a shelf cloud or, or a decent cloud structure, um, especially with the directions of storms they can be very random. They can change direction in any minute. Normally, storms traditionally move from west to east or from northwest to southeast or from southwest to northeast. But generally, from a west to east direction, uh, depending on the winds in the upper atmosphere and so forth. But it can be very tricky, and there's a lot of luck that goes into it as well to be in front of the storm. Now, luckily, last weekend, I was uh, out at Ipswich, and there was a storm that developed uh, west of Harrisville, just off the Toowoomba Range there, and it uh, came down, and uh, I was in a perfect spot, and I had a little lake in front of me, and I got the reflection of the shelf cloud, and then about half an hour after that, I went, I was heading towards east, towards Brisbane, and I stopped at Springfield, and I got another photo of the storm, 
and the cloud structure had changed and I did a panorama shot of that. So that's probably my best to date over the summertime that I've got. I've had some other small storms that I've chased over the last two or three months but nowhere near as good as what I got last week and uh, the reason why storm chasing is so difficult as I was just saying before is you just don't know what direction they're going to head. Now luckily in this day of age of the internet we have access to weather models and apps and so forth that can give you an indication of where storms can possibly develop and that's where you, you generally gives you an idea of what area you need to go to. Now, there are different tools and different indexes that they use to forecast storms. One of them's lifted index. The other one is CAPE. You've got the sweat index and the total totals index. Generally, um, you look at all those ones on the maps and the websites that I look at. And um, when they plot those indexes, they can give you an idea of where storms can form, but it's never 100% guaranteed. There are a couple of websites that I use. I use Windy, which is a popular app that everyone's using now. You can use it on the desktop or download the app on your phone. And Windy is good and uh, tells you where thunderstorms can possibly develop. And it's got a whole range of information as well, like forecast rain, uh, cloud forecast to give you an idea if there's going to be high cloud around, which most photographers love a red sky for sunset, so I use it for that as well. There's another website called uh, BSCH, and uh, that's got models and information of where storms can develop as well. And uh, one of the ones I like to use is WeatherWatch. And that's run by one of the meteorologists, Anthony Cornelius. And uh, I've subscribed to that. It's $8 a month. I think it's 8 bucks a month. And that gives you some really good high-resolution data on where storms can develop and where to go. There's a lot of things to look for in forecasting storms. Um, you've got to look at the steering winds up above. Now, if we've got strong shear and the winds in the upper atmosphere, I'm talking about fifteen to 20,000 feet, are fairly strong then that'll give you an idea that the storms will be fast moving and there's a better chance of getting decent shelf cloud. Um, there's been days where we haven't had strong winds in the upper atmosphere or we haven't had strong shear and the storms form and they're almost stationary and they can move only 50 kilometres and then they die. Those type of storms aren't as good, although in, a night, in the night time uh, it's a lot easier to get the lightning obviously but they don't have the structure that they have to the severe supercell-type storms that we like to capture. So recently, a lot of the storms that have been happening out west, uh, they've been very slow-moving and very disorganised and all over the place. And uh, one of the big mistakes that you can make, which I've made plenty of times, is you can get behind the storm. So you, you've got a storm not far from you and you're trying to get in front of it, You've got to remember, we've got to rely on a road network to get around. The storm doesn't. The storm doesn't have any roads to navigate. They don't have traffic lights and that. So if a storm's travelling at 80 kilometres an hour, it's going to, in an hour, it's going to be 80 kilometres from where it was, especially if it's moving east. And once you have a storm in front of you like that, you're chasing your own tail and there's no way to get back in front of that storm to get the photo of it. So it's pretty much gone. So there's a lot of planning 
Um, sometimes it's best to get out to the area you want to go to well before storms are forecast to develop. Get yourself set up. Just look at the satellite, and when you see the convection, convection, that's what Jenna says, convection, but it's convection, which means you see those bubbly white clouds form. Then that gives you an idea of uh, where the storms are likely to develop. And then once they start developing, then they start moving. And that's the tricky part. And it's watching them move, watch the radar and so forth. Now, you can be lucky enough and be at home and have a storm come right over you. Like uh, the local lake that's up the road from where I live, um, there's been times I've just had to drive five minutes down there uh, to get a really good storm shot. And there's times I've had to drive two or three hours or even further to get a decent shot, but that's the fun of it, and it makes it exciting because if, if it was too easy to chase storms, I think it would get boring. So the planning, even, you know, three or four days out before the actual storm day, the actual planning of it, looking at the models, and the models get updated every six to 12 hours and things can change in that time, that's the actual exciting part about it, just knowing where do I go? Do I go to Byron? Which way the storms are going to go? Um, it's best to be in an open area, especially if you want good cloud structure. It's no point being up in the mountains. When the storms are riding the hinterland and the mountains, you don't really see the structure well, so you don't really want to be in a mountain area when the storms hit. I find out in the scenic rim region, anywhere Bow Desert, Boona, out at Lake Wyralong, Harrisville, Peaks Crossing, any of that area sort of between Ipswich and Boona, where there's a lot of flat ground, although there are a few hills, that's a really good area to get storm photos. Uh, no doubt on the other side of the Great Dividing Range, out towards Warwick and Allure and out at Goondawindi and, and out that way is also a great area um, to capture storms where it's a lot more flatter and there's uh, less hills about. So... Um, so it is very difficult, but it's fun. And I put a lot of kilometres on my car, which is turns 10 this year. My car's nearly 10 years old. I've got 380,000 on it, and uh, it hasn't let me down. So um, I've done a lot of driving. But the thing I like about photography is it makes you want to get out there and explore. That's what I love about it. Now, before I took photography up, when I used to come up to uh, Gold Coast for holidays, I used to come up here and spend three or four weeks every summer. The furthest I would go was Tambourine Mountain. Me, mum and dad and, and that, we'd go up to Tambourine Mountain, have lunch or afternoon tea up there several times while on in holidays. I didn't go up to Brisbane. I didn't go down to Byron Bay. We just stayed around the Gold Coast region and Mount Tambourine. But when I moved up here in 2014, that's when I started to explore and go out to the scenic rim and up to the Sunshine Coast and down to Byron and Ballina and Evans Head even. I've even gone out to Casino in northern New South Wales, and it's a beautiful area to explore, even when it, when there's no storms happening. And uh, that's the thing I love about this area, and the thing I love about photography is exploring all these areas. I really enjoy going out to the scenic rim. Um, as I'm doing this podcast today, there's some lovely high cloud about, so I'm keeping my eye on that most of the day. Um, to see um, if there'll be a good spot to go to for sunset tonight. So, uh, But storm chasing, very, very difficult. It's not easy. It's dangerous as well, especially when lightning strikes close. You've got to be so careful. Um, I try and shoot in, uh, in, an area, in a position where I'm next to the car. I don't like to leave the car 
and walk 500 metres from it or a kilometre from it because I want get, to get, have a certain composition that where the car can't get to, I'd rather try and shoot next to the car so I can bail really quickly and throw everything in the car if lightning's striking too close or if I get heavy rainfall on me, which I've been caught out a few times. So that's just a bit of information on uh, storm chasing and how difficult it is. Right, I've had a few people message me on, on Instagram and Facebook and that, asking me when I'll be in Sydney next. Uh, now, most of you probably know I go down to Sydney around May, June for the Vivid Festival. I've been doing it for the last, well, since I've moved up to the Gold Coast, five or six years, and um, I enjoy going down there and look forward to having the holiday. I normally have three to four weeks. Um, I'm not sure what I'm going to do this year. Um, I'm going to wait for the program for Vivid to come out. I think it comes out in March or April, and they start sort of uh, showing what they're going to do this year and that. And I feel on a Vivid itself, from a photographer's point of view, I think it's gotten really stale the last several years. The It's just the same photos I'm seeing all the time, and I'm sort of getting sick of taking the same photos. I could put a photo up from three years ago and say I'm down at Vivid today, and people would believe you. But uh there are the smaller installations change from year to year, but the the lights on the bridge and the beams and the opera house, the projections vary from year to year, but it's pretty much the same thing. So I'm sort of considering whether or to go down for Vivid this year, but I'm going to wait for the program because you just never know if I turn around and not go and they might have something really spectacular on, I'll regret it. So I'll just see what happens. So I'm, I'm not too sure. The other plan that I might be doing is I might be trying to have a couple of weeks off uh, in the first quarter of this year, like around March, April, and then have another two weeks off down there, um, September, October. So I'm thinking of splitting it up into two uh, lots. I'll be in Sydney twice this year, but uh, that, that all could change. And uh, I might just, it might be just be as planned and I'll be down there in May, June again this year for Vivid. I'll just see what the program is and what the interest is. One thing I do like about Vivid, they, it does give you a chance to catch up with a lot of photographers that you don't see often and people I haven't seen since I've moved up here. If I went down there when there's no Vivid, there's probably less chance of running into people because uh, everyone comes out of the woodwork when Vivid's on. So I'm just going to take it month by month and um, no doubt if I do go down to Sydney before Vivid and, and not do Vivid altogether, I'll um, I'll let everyone know in due course and uh, no doubt I'll put a story up about it. But it's no big deal. I don't think most people really give a shit, to be honest, whether I'm down there or not, but um, no doubt my close friends do. Um, speaking of which, I'm going to do a podcast on stories uh, in an upcoming episode because it'd be interesting to see people love my top tens that I do for the music and that, but uh, because I've got a business page and that I can see that people do skip the stories and they're not interested. So uh, um, I think the problem with stories now is people are just too self-centred on themselves, expecting the, everyone to see what they're doing but they may not be interested in what others are doing. So that's where it's sort of going. But uh, more on that on a, on a, on our next episode. Uh, my other concern too is my parents. They're getting on now. They're in their late 70s. Sadly, they're deteriorating. I'm not going to lie. I'm just speaking to mum and dad on the phone like I do regularly and they're starting to forget things and not remember things. Um, just a classic example, uh, their windscreen wiper broke not long ago and they don't want to fix it. And uh, that's funny that because, well, it's not funny, but uh, normally dad's onto things like that and will fix things when they break. So for some reason, they're putting off getting things fixed. And um, 
I know Alzheimer's and dementia, and that is a big issue as the um, population ages, and I've just got this hunch that my mum and dad may be uh, getting the first stages of dementia. Uh, my dad's a diabetic. Um, that's bad enough as it is. He's starting to get arthritis very bad too in his joints, so he can't get around. And when mum, I haven't seen mum since last year. They are planning on coming up soon to visit, but um, I'm not holding my breath. Um, they're finding it hard to get around. Mum has scoliosis, which is curvature of the back, and that's deteriorating rapidly too, where she's probably going to have to be on a walker. She finds it when she pushes a shopping trolley around when she's at the shops. She finds it gives a great relief, so that gives uh, sort of gives her an idea that she might need to have a walker. So uh, I want to try and get down there soon because I want to um, make the most of seeing my mum and dad in their later years if they if they don't come up soon, which they said they were going to come up uh, in a few weeks' time. So uh, I don't know if they booked the flight. So I'm a bit worried about that. Um, so. Uh, I'll keep you updated during the year on how mum and dad are going. Um, I always have my close friends always ask about my parents and uh, they're the raw facts there that they are slowly deteriorating and um, in the next year or two I've got to make a tough decision whether to move back down to Sydney and be with mum and dad or, or sell the house or, or whatever. But um, I think in the next year or two there's going to be a few changes. So um, we'll see how we go. And on that note, that wraps up our first podcast for 2020. Thanks for listening, guys. I'll try and get a few more episodes out during the year. Um, once again, have a great 2020 and wishing everyone all the best. And we'll see you on the next episode. Bye for now.